If you've got your Bible, go ahead and make your way to Jeremiah chapter 29, uh, book of Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, if you get email communication from us, you know we were supposed to be in Ephesians this morning, uh, but Jacob woke up sick, not feeling well, and so uh, pray for him and his family that they recover quickly. Uh, but what we're going to do is just going to flip uh, these next two weeks of what we're going to have, and so we'll be back in Ephesians next week, but this week... Uh, We're in Jeremiah 29, back in our Rooted series, uh, talking about, thinking about, uh, and looking at God's Word to see what God calls us to do and be as a church. And this morning, we're talking about what it means uh, to be rooted in the city. And so maybe you remember back in March 2020, right when everything uh, started happening with COVID and everything started shutting down, I'm sure most of you Uh, like me, thought, well, this is going to be over pretty quickly, and things will get back to normal after like three or four weeks. I I remember thinking when we uh, stopped gathering together as a church in March, like, surely we'll be back by Easter, uh, and we'll kind of uh, forget that this thing ever happened and move on quickly uh, with our lives. And obviously, that did not happen, right? Life did not go back to normal uh, for a long time. Uh, COVID sickness, restrictions, shutdowns, they all lasted a lot longer than probably any of us thought they were going to. Uh, And so we all had to adjust to this kind of new semblance of normal and learn how to live a a new life in this new normal after this thing that wasn't going to go away after a few weeks or a few months. Well, this is really similar to where we find the people of God in Jeremiah 29, the Uh, people of God have been taken into exile in Babylon. They've been taken as captives and slaves to the city of Babylon, and they have false prophets who are telling them, hey, nothing to worry about. This is going to be over soon. You're going to be back home in the land before you know it. Uh, But God is going to tell them that their exile is going to last a lot longer than any of them thought it would, that it'll last for 70 years. And so they're going to have to adjust to this new situation, and so God's going to address them and show them what it looks like for them to be faithful as exiles in the city of Babylon. And and as he does this, what we'll see is that it's actually going to show us how we can be faithful to God where he has placed us today, specifically in uh, the city of Fayetteville. And so what we'll see in Jeremiah 29 is that being rooted in the city Uh, ultimately means we should be a missional people. And so let's look at this together. Jeremiah chapter 29, we're going to read the first uh, 14 verses. So starting in verse 1, the very word of God to us today, it speaks to us like this. It says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile 
and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Let's pray for God's help on our time together. God, would you be with and empower and bless the preaching of your word now? Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see? the good news of the gospel in this passage and the call you've placed on our lives as sojourners and exiles. God, would you help us to walk in faithfulness? Would you help us to seek the welfare of the city to which you've sent us? God, would you help us to pray for and seek to bless and be a people who bear witness to your kingdom in and through our our witness here in the city, both as a church gathered together and as we scatter throughout the week. God, would you empower your word in our hearts and our lives right now in this moment? Would you transform us even on the spot to be a people who are zealous to see you made much of in this city where you've placed us? I pray that you would. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, the first thing we see here is that God calls us to live in the city and bless the city. Uh, let me quickly give you the context of where we're at in the book of Jeremiah. And so before, way back before God's people even got into the promised land, when God made a covenant with them, uh, part of the stipulations of that covenant was that uh, if they continued to go after idols, if they continued to worship false gods and break the covenant and not be obedient and faithful to God, then God was going to send them uh, into exile. And so once they get into the promised land, if you know the history of the Old Testament, you know they do that. They worship idols and false gods constantly throughout their history. And so eventually God makes good on this covenant promise and he sends them into exile. Like we see in verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he came into Jerusalem and he took the people of God out of their homeland and took them as captives and slaves back to Babylon. Uh, This letter from Jeremiah is coming a few years after that, after the people have initially been taken into exile. Uh, Actually, after more people have been taken into exile. And so you have kind of these two groups that are taken after this. And in the previous chapters of Jeremiah, uh, like I said earlier, Jeremiah is having to deal with these false prophets who are telling the people, hey, there's nothing to worry about. God's not mad at you. This isn't a big deal. You're going to be home before you know it. This exile is just a blip on the radar. Uh, you don't need to worry about it. Don't settle down. Uh, you're coming back home. But, but verse 10 tells us that the exile is going to be 70 years. And so God's people are going to face judgment for their sin for a long time as exiles. And Jeremiah is encouraging the exiles in the midst of that judgment, and the way he encourages them would have been absolutely shocking. 
Because, again, as we saw, these aren't just Jeremiah's words. This is God's word to his people in exile. Notice verse 4. This letter begins with, Thus says the Lord. And look again at what God tells them in verse 5. He says, Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. This is shocking because God is saying, put down roots in Babylon. All the false prophets are saying, no, uh, don't live, live, don't uh, just hold on a few days longer and you're going to be home. But God is saying, no, live there. Don't just rent, build a house and live in it. Plant a garden and eat the fruit that comes from it. Marry and have kids. Give your kids away in marriage so that they can have kids. Do not treat this like a vacation or like a temporary displacement. Live here in the city of Babylon. Put down roots here. Uh, the summer after Braylon graduated college, we were moving to North Carolina in August, and she graduated in May, and so they were going to kick us out of uh, married student housing on campus uh, at the end of May because neither of us were students anymore, and so we had to find somewhere to live for June and July before we moved out uh, to North Carolina, and thankfully we were able to find a small house to rent during those two months. Uh, and so we rented that house and stayed in that house for two months. But what we definitely did not do was live there. Uh, we did not put anything up on the walls. We did not decorate the house. We didn't add any personal touches to the house. I mean, we didn't even unpack most of our stuff. One of those small extra rooms in there was basically just all of our packed boxes stacked up to the ceiling uh, in the room. We made no attempts to make that place home because we knew this isn't really home. There's no sense in planting roots here because we're not going to be here for very long. And, and that's the temptation the Israelites were facing, to not treat Babylon like home because Jerusalem is home. Jerusalem is where the promised land is, but God is showing them how to be faithful in a new context when Babylon is going to be home for 70 years. He's saying, unpack your suitcases, put stuff up on the walls, make this place your home. But that's not the only shocking thing that God calls the exiles to do here. He doesn't just call them to live in the city. He calls them to bless the city. In verse 7, he calls them to seek the welfare of the city of Babylon. The word for welfare there is the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace and wholeness and flourishing. God's people are to seek the flourishing and the well-being and the wholeness of Babylon and, and even more shocking, God says that when that peace and that shalom and that wholeness in the city of Babylon grows, God's people will experience shalom themselves. Now, why is that shocking? Well, what do we know about Babylon? Well, we know they're evil and they're opposed to God. This is an incredibly wicked city. Babylon got its start as Babel in Genesis chapter 11 when they build the Tower of Babel, this rebellious tower to, to which they're trying to reach the skies and make a name for themselves, and God has to scatter them across the face of the earth. And then all throughout the Bible, along with being uh, a literal city uh, and people in the Old Testament, Babylon also stands for and symbolizes people and places that are opposed to God and opposed to His ways. And this current iteration of Babylon is wicked as well. They're eventually going to be judged by God for their sins. 
And they're the people that have taken Israel into exile. They're currently the people who are their captors and their slave drivers. And so it is shocking that God would call His people to seek the good of this city, but He does. He does not call them to retreat into a hidey hole and just wait out the exile so that they can get back home to Jerusalem. He calls them to weave themselves into the fabric of this evil city and seek to see it flourish. And look, I'm sure that the people of God thought that faithfulness to God could only be accomplished in the promised land, where the temple was, where God was, where God had promised to be with His people. But their sin has now gotten them driven out of the land, but God is showing them, even in spite of their sin and the judgment on them that they're facing for it, they can still be faithful to God as exiles in Babylon. God's not thrown off or taken by surprise by their sin. Even their sin cannot alter God's plan. Because what we see all throughout the Bible uh, and what the Old Testament especially shows us is that God is a missionary God who has always had a heart for the nations, who has always had a desire and a plan to see the nations be saved. When God calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he calls him and he tells him that he's going to bless him and make him a great, great nation so that all the peoples of the earth would find blessing and salvation in him and in his offspring. When God called Israel out of slavery into Egypt, in Egypt and made them into a nation at Mount Sinai, when He covenanted with them, he, he says that if they will obey His voice and keep His covenant, He will make them a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests means they would be a people who would mediate the knowledge of God to other nations, who would spread the knowledge of God to other people so that other peoples would be able to know the true God and be saved. A holy nation means that their distinctive lives, their lives that they were to live of being set apart and devoted to God, would be a witness that would cause the nations around them to see and ask questions about their God and about what makes them different. And of course, what we see in the Old Testament is that Israel does not fulfill that missionary purpose. They're not a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, and so God has them scattered into exile, but even as the exile is a judgment, God is using this judgment as a means to bless the nations. Did you see that? Notice, who does it say, who does God say sent the Israelites into exile in verse 4 and verse 7? He says, I, He did. God is the one who sent them into exile, and He did not just do it as a judgment. He did it so that people from Babylon would come to know Him and would be saved. That's why the Israelites are being called to live here in the city and seek its flourishing, why they're called to pray for the city. God has sent them into exile both as a judgment for their sin and so that they can be a blessing to these people, so that they can be a light to the nations, so that the Babylonians could come to know the God of Israel, who's the true God of the whole earth. And maybe you think, oh, this is a pretty interesting history lesson about the Israelites. It's really cool that God called them to do that when they were exiles uh, in Babylon. But here's the deal. This is not just a history lesson. God has put the exact same call on us. The New Testament says that we, the people of God, we are sojourners and exiles. 1 Peter 1 says we are elect, chosen exiles. 1 Peter 2 identifies us as sojourners and exiles and says we need to understand this and live like it. 
Like the Israelites here in Jeremiah, we are in a foreign land as exiles, and we need to understand how to be faithful in it. So how do we be faithful in it? We do it by doing what God calls his people to do here. We are to live in and put down roots in the place where God has placed us. We are to seek the good of the place that he's placed us. We're to pray for the city to which God has sent us and seek to see it flourish and work to contribute to its flourishing. But here's the problem with that. Actually doing this well is incredibly difficult because we all face the temptation to either assimilate to the city or retreat from the city. And both of those will keep us from walking in obedience to this text. Some of us face the temptation to retreat from the city. We don't like it here. We don't want to be here. We're counting down the days until we can go somewhere else. And so we seek to keep our kids as far away from any outside influence as possible. And we keep ourselves as completely detached uh, as we can from the city. We, we don't know our neighbors. We don't do anything to serve our neighbors. And if we were to move to a different place, uh, nobody in the city would really even know that we're gone. Others of us face the temptation to assimilate to the city. And this was Babylon's strategy. This is what they were trying to do. Notice in verse 2, all the classes of people that are taken into exile are the ruling and working and creative classes of God's people. The king of Babylon knows that if he can get those people to live like Babylonians and not like Israelites, the Israelites will be weakened as a people until they cease to exist. You can see Babylon doing this in Daniel chapter 1 as well, when he takes uh, Daniel and his friends into the king's court, and they give them Babylonian names, and they give them Babylonian food, and they try to do all of these different things to make them uh, forget their identity as Israelites and educate them as Babylonians. They're trying to make them lose their distinctiveness and their identity as God's people. And look, Anywhere you find yourself today is going to try to be doing the same thing to you today. It is going to be trying to assimilate us into its values. I mean, think about our culture. You and I are constantly being discipled into getting an identity through our performance. We're discipled into thinking happiness is found in promotion and status and recognition. The culture is trying to assimilate us into consumerism, the, the belief that Happiness is found on the other side of one more purchase, of getting one more thing, having one more experience, just getting a little bit more. The culture's trying to assimilate us into its vision of success, that success is what looks big and strong and important and powerful and impressive. The culture's trying to assimilate us into sharing its values on sex, that you're free to have it with whoever you want, whenever you want, no commitments required. The, the culture is trying to assimilate us into sharing its values on the body, into sharing its belief that our bodies are not something that's given to us by God. They're ours to kind of create and, and be a palette on which we create whatever we want to create and whatever we want to see. On and on and on I could go, but, but when we fail to resist this assimilation, when we get discipled into and start sharing the values of the city where God has sent us, we fail to obey verse 7. You can't uh, bless the city and seek its flourishing if you look just like the city. You have nothing distinct to offer the city if you assimilate to the city. If you don't live for God in the city, you're not going to pray for people in the city to come to know God. 
If there's nothing distinct about you, you can't show anybody anything different. You just become a mirror for people to see more of themselves and their own values reflected back to them, and that doesn't show anybody the glory of God. And so we're in a real sense called to be in the city, but not of the city, to bless the city without retreating from it or assimilating into it. But since those temptations to retreat and assimilate are so powerful, how do we find the power to walk in obedience to this text? Where do we find the power to live in the city and bless the city? Well, the rest of the passage shows us that we find the power to love the city by living for another city. In verses 8 and 9, God tells them, don't trust the false prophets who are making false promises about the exile being over quickly. It's not going to be over quickly. But God doesn't just leave them there. He doesn't just expose the false promise. He gives them a true and real promise as well. Look again at verse 10 at what he says. It says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. And I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, this is the most famous verse in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, You may have gotten something with this verse printed on it as as a graduation gift or something like that. And uh, you may have been told that this verse means God has a wonderful plan for your life. And you may have quickly found out that that does not mean that you're going to get an A on all your tests or you're going to get the job that you want or you're going to get the promotion uh, because you believe this verse and none of those things happen for you. And in context, we can see that. Right? We can see that this promise is not a promise that uh, God's wonderful plan for your life is to make everything go well for you and to make everything you touch turn into gold. No, Again, verse 10 tells them they're going to be in exile. They're going to suffer for 70 years. Exile is real. They need to live in light of it. But God's promise here is that exile is not forever. His wonderful plan for their life is to bring them home, to give them a future and a hope. God says He will bring them back home and He will turn their hearts back to Him so that they will seek Him and find Him. That's where we find the power to live as exiles, this promise of a future home and a future hope. The Israelites could live in and bless the city of Babylon because Babylon was not all that they had to live for. They didn't have to retreat and they didn't have to assimilate because they had a future and a hope even if they died out in Babylon. And that's where we will find the power to live as exiles where God has sent us as well. Because ultimately, we see this promise in Jeremiah fulfilled in the gospel. See, God made us to reflect Him and to spread His glory all over the earth. But we rejected that and thought we could find freedom and life outside of Him. And ever since then, our cities, our lives have all been characterized by rebellion against God and a desire to be independent from Him. And that earned God's judgment. We deserve the judgment of eternal exile, eternally being separated from God's light and life and love because of the ways we've sinned against Him and failed to reflect His glory. And listen, if you're not a believer in Jesus, if you've not declared allegiance to to King Jesus yet through 
turning from your sins and turning to Him in faith. I, I just need you to hear this. You still stand under this judgment. You are heading for an eternity of exile away from God that would make the worst slavery in Babylon look like a picnic. You have sinned against the God who made you and who loves you, and He is just. He will judge for that. But the promise of the gospel and the hope of the gospel is that you don't have to spend an eternity in exile. This temporary exile that the Israelites experience, it serves as a warning to us so that we would wake up and come to Jesus and be saved. If you're not a believer in Jesus, you currently stand under this judgment, but the good news of the gospel is that God so loves us that Jesus left his home in heaven and took on our flesh. He became a man, and he came and lived the perfect life of faithfulness that the Israelites and you and I have not lived. He never sinned. He never failed to trust God. He was the only one who never deserved to suffer the judgment and pain of exile and judgment, but he freely chose to enter into our suffering and exile for us. He took our place on the cross. He was cast out so that we could be brought in. On the cross, he died outside the camp in exile, experiencing the judgment of exile and the judgment of God on our sins so that we would not have to. And the end of his exile was death, but he did not stay dead. He rose from the dead, and his resurrection was the first fruits of the return from exile. His resurrection is the sign that the way back home to God has been opened up. And before Jesus died and rose from the dead, he told his disciples that he was going to heaven before them to prepare a place for them. And this is what he's doing right now. Jesus is currently in heaven as the king of the universe, and he is preparing a place for us. He is preparing to bring us into our eternal home. The Bible ends with the promise that for all of those uh, who repent of their sins and put their trust in Jesus, who all who declare allegiance to Jesus as King, because of what Jesus has done, we will spend eternity with Him in a new heavens and a new earth. We, in an even greater way than the Israelites who would have realized, than the Israelites would have realized when they first received this promise, we have a future and a hope. Because of the work of Jesus, we will spend an eternity with God at home free of sin and suffering and struggle. If Jesus is your king, that's your future. That's your hope. That's your true home. That as sure as Jesus is risen from the dead, God will bring you home to heaven to be with Him and His people for all of eternity. And that's where you find the power to live as a good citizen of whatever earthly city God has sent you to. You find the power to love your earthly city by living for another better city. The the reason the New Testament calls us sojourners and strangers and exiles is not because we're suffering judgment for our sins. Jesus has already paid for that. It calls us exiles because heaven is our true home. We are not just citizens of America. We are citizens of a different city and servants of a different kingdom. And getting your heart and your mind set on that city and that kingdom and that king 
will be the most effective thing you can do to make you a good citizen here. This is what Hebrews 11 says. Listen to what Hebrews 11 says about Abraham and Sarah. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus, for people who speak in this way, they make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. And do you see how this empowers you? Older brothers and sisters in church history called this being heavenly-minded, getting your thoughts fixed on the hope you have in Jesus in heaven. And it has always been the case throughout the history of the church that those who were the most heavenly-minded were able to do the most earthly good. Because without knowing what Jesus has done to purchase a new and a true home for you, you won't be able to treat this place like an exile. You're going to try to treat it like it is your eternal home, like it is all you have to live for, and you're going to try to get from it what you cannot get from it, or you're going to retreat from it and not seek to bless it. But instead, the Bible presents us with this tension that we are to be in the world, but not of the world, because we are citizens of a different kingdom. And the only people who navigate this tension well, who live in and bless and pray for the city without retreating or getting assimilated into it, are those who have their hopes set on the true city that Jesus has purchased and prepared for them, those who have their hopes set on eternal life with God. And so how do we do this well? How do we practically live in this tension? How do we grow in heavenly mindedness so that we can be of the most earthly good? Well, what the Bible teaches us is that we can't redeem our cities or transform our cities. Uh, that's God's job and that's God's prerogative. We can't accomplish that and make that happen. What we can do is bear witness to the city. We can point people to this other city and this heavenly kingdom and show people a different way of life. Now, how do we do that? Because if you, you think about it, you can't recognize the kingdom of God in the ways that you would normally recognize another nation or kingdom. There's no visible earthly king or ruler in this kingdom. There's no specific plot of land that you can go to, like the land of Israel, to show you this is the capital city, this is where uh, this kingdom is. And so how do we bear witness to the kingdom of God? How do we help people see it? How do we give people, where do you go to get a foretaste and a sign of the kingdom of God, to see what the kingdom of God is like? Well, what the Bible tells us is that you go to the church, the gathered people of God, that the church, the gathered people of God, is what bears witness to the kingdom of God. Let me borrow an illustration for the church that I've, I've found helpful, uh, the illustration of an embassy. Local churches are embassies of the kingdom of heaven. So what is an embassy? An embassy is an institution that represents its home nation's interest in whatever host nation it finds itself in. So a U.S. embassy in South Africa is representing the interests of the United States in South Africa. Not only that, the, the embassy operates by the laws and jurisdiction of the home country, not the host country. 
And in a lot of ways, this is what the local church is like. Every local church is an embassy or an outpost of the kingdom of heaven, a representative of that heavenly nation. It's meant to be showing the world, the host nation, what the home nation, heaven, is like. It is representing the values and interests of the kingdom of heaven and showing the values of the home nation. The church is where you get a foretaste and sign and picture of the kingdom of heaven. The church is what bears witness to our earthly cities of another, better, different city. Because as a local church, Jesus has given us our mission. He's given us our marching orders. He's shown us how to bless the city to which he has sent us. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him, and that we are to go with that authority and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded of us. Our mission as a whole church is to make disciples to share the good news of Jesus with people and show them what the kingdom of heaven looks like and call people into it. This is our job when we gather together on Sundays to make disciples. Because here's what happens when you gather with the church. You gather with the church and you learn how to be a citizen of a different kingdom. You learn the values of a different city. Instead of selfishness and consumption and shaming, you learn selflessness and service and love and forgiveness. Instead of pride and selfish ambition and glory seeking, you learn humility and lowliness and the way of the cross. God creates this new life in us through His Word. He trains us how to live as citizens of His kingdom. He trains us in heavenly mindedness. Every Sunday gathering is a weekly reminder of what home looks like. We get trained to be disciples, and then we embody it and live out those new kingdom values with each other on Sundays and all throughout the week. Our mission as a whole church is to make disciples. Your mission as an individual Christian, as a member of the church, is to both make disciples and to be a disciple. Because just like with an embassy, the New Testament tells us that we are ambassadors of Christ. We're representatives of the kingdom of heaven meant to show everyone else around us what Jesus is like. The gospel that we celebrate when we gather, it trains you to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a good ambassador. And then when you go out and live as a good ambassador of Jesus' kingdom, you show people a different way of life, and that opens up opportunities for you to tell them about Jesus. Your life of being a disciple opens up opportunities for you to make disciples. And so what are we called to do? How do you seek the welfare of the city in which God has placed you? You keep gathering with the church both to bear witness to the kingdom and get the job training and learn how to be a disciple and to help make disciples. And then you go and be a disciple throughout your week. You serve Jesus in your everyday life, understanding that everything you do, you do as an ambassador and representative of Jesus. The way you interact with teachers at your children's school, you do that as an ambassador of Jesus. You can represent Jesus poorly or well in that that scenario, but you are going to represent him because you're his ambassador. When you go to a restaurant, 
how you treat the wait staff and how much you tip, you're doing that as a representative of Jesus. When you talk to your neighbors, you're doing that as a representative of Jesus. Being missional, it simply means seeing yourself as sent by God to the place where you're at to be a witness and an ambassador for him there. It means recognizing that you're not in Fayetteville. You're not at Fort Liberty by accident. God has sent you here. And so while you're here, you're not trying to retreat or assimilate. You're seeking to do good to the people and places God has put you around. And look, there's a bunch of different ways uh, that you can step into that and seek to be a blessing to the city. You as an individual Christian can find creative ways to try and address homelessness and poverty and education and governmental policies and all sorts of different things that would bless and serve our city. I want to be clear, you're doing that to bless the city and open up opportunities for the gospel. Uh, You're not going to be able to create a Christian government or a Christian nation because we can't convert people to Christianity with threats or with the power of the sword. That's not what God authorizes or means for government to do in our world. What government is meant to do in our world and what you as an individual Christian should advocate and serve for, government is meant to create the conditions where people can live and exist and hear the gospel. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul tells us to pray for the rulers and authorities, those who are in high places, and he says to pray for them so that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. And then he says, because This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Uh, Paul makes that connection there in 1 Timothy 2 to say that what we want from government is, is for the government to help create and oversee a just society where people can live peaceful and quiet lives so that we can share the gospel with them and pray that they would be saved. We want to educate our children for lots of reasons, but ultimately, we want to do that so that they can read the Bible and hear the gospel and be saved. We want government to exist, to protect people and create the conditions where they can exist and hear the good news of the gospel that we as a church proclaim. There are important things that you can do to help our city grow in these areas so that ultimately people can hear the gospel and be saved, because ultimately, this is what we most want, and this is how we most bless the city. Food, housing, water, education, it's all incredibly important, and we should care about it. But all of it's ultimately meaningless if people do not hear the gospel. John Piper rightly says that as Christians, we should care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. As Christians, we believe Jesus has kept us from the eternal suffering of an eternity in exile away from God's light and life and love. We believe hell is real and that people really will go there. So we long to share about how good Jesus is so that more people will believe and be saved from judgment too. Look, as a follower of Jesus, that's the best way for you to bless the city. It's to offer them the only distinct thing we have to offer the city, the good news of the gospel. And I want to encourage you, you don't have to go out and try to change the world. The most important way you could walk in obedience to this text might just be something like you praying for an opportunity to share the gospel and then taking a coworker or a neighbor through the gospel of Mark and reading it with them over the span of a few weeks or a few months and just letting them see Jesus and ask questions about him. 
The most important work you could do to bless Fayetteville and to seek the flourishing of the city to which God has sent you is to give people here the gospel. And when you press the gospel deeper into your heart and when you sit with the reality of hell and what it means for those who are lost, it will push you out towards others. You'll want others to know Jesus like you do and you'll want to see them saved from the eternal suffering that you were saved from. You will want to pray for the city. You'll want to seek its welfare. And so I'll just ask you, do you pray for the city? Do you pray for our leaders that they would lead in a way that leads us to be able to live peaceful and quiet lives so that we can freely go about the work of sharing the good news of the gospel? Do you pray for your neighbors and your co-workers to have opportunities to share the gospel with them? Do you pray that God would help you to be a good ambassador in the place where he has sent you? Would you pray that God would use us as a church to be a gospel outpost and embassy of the kingdom of heaven in this city? It's ultimately what God has called us to do. And so let's do that now. Let's ask the Lord uh, that he would do that among us. God, thank you for your word. And thank you for both the good news of the gospel and the call and the challenge that you place on our lives here. Thank you that just as even in the midst of Israel's exile being a judgment for their sin, you had good plans and a purpose for them to bring them home and to use them to be a blessing to the city in which you sent them. God, would you help us to see a similar call on our own lives, that you have put us here in Fayetteville for as long as you have us here to seek the welfare of the city. Would you help us to do that? Would you give us grace and empowerment as we seek to make disciples and, and be a witness to your kingdom here in the city? Would you empower us as a whole church to be able to do that, to be a, a gospel embassy, an outpost, on 584 South Riley Road, that every Sunday when we gather, God, there would be another gospel witness in this city proclaiming your truth and proclaiming that there's another king and another kingdom to live for. God, as we scatter individually throughout our weeks, would you give us opportunities to share the gospel? And would you give us boldness to take those opportunities? Would you give us grace and would you empower your word? Would it speed ahead? Would we um, get to hear and rejoice in um, dozens of gospel conversations that, are, that we have been able as a people to have with our coworkers, with our neighbors, with the people that you've placed us around? God, thank you that you loved us enough to come in the person of Jesus and take our exile that we would not have to suffer away from you for all of eternity. God, thank you that you have brought us back to yourself, that we do have a future and a hope and a home forever with you because of what you've done. Thank you for your grace in that. I pray that that grace would empower us as we go out this week. In your name, amen.